today's forecast is looking like a high chance of pizza. Stay in an order. Domino's Hawaii, we deliver aloha in any kind weather. The Mothership Podcast is sponsored by Hawaii Surrogacy Center. Start your family with Hawaii's leading surrogacy agency. into 2022 and are welcoming the Chinese New Year of the Tiger. How do you think the New Year of the Tiger is going to be, Noli? Got any predictions? Well, well, I'm not familiar with the Chinese calendar, but the tiger itself sounds strong and we're going to push forward. I hope I hope it's a, a brighter, stronger year ahead of us. Yeah. What about you? Well, I'll, well, I was kind of looking it up and I guess it also depends on what sign you are. And I know you and I were both dragons. Um, they say it's going to be tough. <laughs> prediction for us it's going to be tough but on the bright side they say some opportunities new opportunities may come our way so hey I like that something to look forward to at least Mm -hmm. yeah well I think that we are going to be in for an exciting time let's just say it that much more when we start this podcast we wanted to start with some good luck vibes out there and that's why we thought it would be only fitting to invite the award-winning filmmaker Kimberly Basford on to the podcast. Kimberly is an award-winning filmmaker, and she's going to share with us one of her latest projects about Honolulu's Chinatown in just a bit. But first, we want to extend a warm welcome to Kim for being with us. Thank you, Kim. Hi, hi thanks. Thank thanks for having me. And by the way, I am also a dragon. So we have three dragons in the house. Okay, powerful. <laughs> oh, man. Are you, are you feeling optimistic? <laughs> I, you know, I, I am, I'm hoping, you know, it's always nice <laughs> when go. there's a new year, that sense of optimism, but um, we'll see. Yeah. And you know, there's so much more to Kim than just the Chinatown project, because she has been so busy, including with an upcoming 50th anniversary, or actually this is the 50th anniversary of the Title IX Patsy Mink Law, right, Kim? That's correct. Yeah. So 50 years ago, Patsy Ming co-authored Title IX, and that is probably one of the biggest landmark pieces of gender equity legislation that's been passed. And it's really opened the doors to education and athletics and careers for women. So um, it's exciting that it's been 50 years. And of course, there's a lot more work to be done, but I think there's going to be um, different celebrations throughout the year. And, and the actual passage of the law was in June. So I know leading up to June, there's going to be um, hopefully a lot of activities here in Hawaii and nationally. Yeah. And PBS, as I understand, is going to be showing your 2008 documentary on Patsy Mink's Title IX law as well next month. That's true. Actually, this month. Um, this actually, month. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. depending, I guess, when people are listening, but yeah, it's it's great. I mean, the film is 14 years old, so I'm just thrilled that it's having a rebroadcast and, you know, to kick off the anniversary year. So that's, that's great. Yeah. And we're going to share with our listeners just a little bit of background about Kim. She is a Harvard, whoa, whoa Harvard. 
Harvard. Harvard <laughs> and University of California graduate. And there she's combined her love for storytelling with her background in journalism to bring these stories of underrepresented girls and women to the world and in the spotlight. And you've really done such an amazing job. And it, I just can't imagine just how much time it takes to, to create a documentary. I mean, can you start off by sharing with us about what it takes to even make a document? Sure. Well, every documentary is different, right? And so, I mean, for instance, the Patsy Mink film, that actually took four years from the moment I met with Wendy Mink, who's Patsy Mink's daughter, and John Mink, her, her husband, who was alive at the time, to the moment we premiered at the Hawaii International Film Festival in 2008. So, um, and that's about typical for a, a feature-length documentary, you know, anywhere from like four to six years if you're doing it as an independent filmmaker versus doing it as, you know, part of a studio or something like that. But um, I've done shorter documentaries in shorter periods of time. So it really depends on the subject and the style of the film. You know, is it a historical documentary where the story was, is already there and you're just trying to figure out how to best tell it? Or are you actually following somebody over time and you really need to have the time to see their story unfold? So um, I've done both kinds of films and they're, they're equally challenging, but equally fun. Um, and so, yeah, it, it just really all depends. Right, and you have a passion. You have a passion for gathering uh, information and telling stories so that they're not forgotten, right? Yes, yes. A lot of my f stories have a historical element, and then a lot of my stories tend to be about girls and women. Um, I don't know if I started out when I when I started my career if I was like I was going to only do films on girls and women, and it hasn't been exclusively, but I'd say ninety percent of my films are about women, but I think those are just the stories I'm attracted to. I see a need and I'm just interested in really resilient, amazing, particularly women of color. And we need more stories of girls and women of color. So, you know, why not focus on, on those stories and having them told? Um, and just so, you know, our girls can, and, and boys can grow up with like, you know, more, more role models and, and stories out there about, about these amazing girls and women. Right. I know in 2014, you also produced the uh, winning girl film, right? About uh, the wrestler Taisha. Yes. Alo. Tashaya Alo. Oh, yes. Tashaya. Amazing. Yes. Yeah. She, she is. She's amazing. So I started with her. So that was an example of a film where I actually followed someone over time. So I started with Tashai when she was 11 years old, and then I followed her all the way to 16. So it was both sort of a sports story of watching her sort of go, she was already sort of getting well known on the national scene, but getting to the international level in both judo and wrestling. Um, and then also just really fun to see her grow up, right? Kind of the film, we, you know, see her go through puberty, become a teenager. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's, it's really a privilege, I guess, to be able to um, be able to follow someone and get to know them and their family and have them share their story, right? I, I just try and find really interesting stories I want to be, I want to watch, um, but it's really up to them if they want to give me that access. Sounds like it struck a chord with you, Knowles, huh? Her yeah, story? well, you know, uh, I remember the Alo, and she has a sister, is that correct? Yes, yes so the she two has a younger Alo sister. sisters, they were, they were like, um, so my family or my, my brother is big into the wrestling judo area. So he would always say, these two girls, probably by the time you met them at 11, these two girls are going to be something. And, and sure enough, like, I'm so glad to see that they're making waves and um, they're doing well. And 
it's kind of interesting, right? It piggybacks on top of the title. The, the title it, with it um, does. Yeah, can you <laughs> it really can you, does. Can you can you bridge that for us for the listeners? Um, well, yeah. So you know, I the first you know project I did out of graduate school was the Patsy Mink documentary, mm -hmm. and of course, growing up here, I always knew Patsy Mink's name. I knew she was our longtime congresswoman, but I really didn't know um, you know the amazing things she, she had done. So, for instance, that she was the co-author of Title IX, um, and also a lot of people don't remember that in 1972 she ran for president. Um, in the Oregon presidential primary. So it wasn't a huge presidential campaign, but she was on the ticket in Oregon and she earned 2% of the vote. Um, and so um, when I read about all of those things, I was, I myself was just intrigued about her and I really wanted to know more about her, her story. But yes, Patsy was the co-author of Title IX. She um, is very much considered sort of the mother of Title IX, the driving force behind it. Although, of course, there are many people who supported it. Um, and Title IX is what, you know, it mandates basically um, that can be no discrimination based on sex in any federal, um, in any educational institution that receives federal funds. Um, and so a lot of people think of Title IX in the sports realm, which it very much um, you know, sports is part of it, but really Patsy Ming's intent was for academics, that she wanted girls and women to be able to get into colleges and get into, you know, graduate schools and whatnot and not be limited by, by their gender or sex. Um, but of course, sports is kind of where the tension went. But to me, like doing that film and then doing the story about Tashaya, who of course was born way after Title IX and never even thought that because of a girl, she couldn't do these sports, you know, um, is sort of like she's an example, sort of the legacy of Title IX. So really, yeah, the two, the two films in a way kind of um, speak to one another that way. So cool. That's so cool. Yeah, and then when it comes to Chinatown, now we're going to bring this back full circle to our introduction. You have a personal connection. I, I do. I do. So, I mean, I'm half Chinese and my great grandfather on my mother's side um, is CQE Hop. So he he was pretty well known in his day. Uh, he was a businessman. He started off as a butcher and then he went on to owning his own meat market and then owning his own supermarket, um, which actually was the first multi-service, multi-department supermarket in the islands, I believe. So I guess, you know, back in the day, like you would have the butcher, you would have, you know, the place you go, the bakery, but he was the first to kind of put it all in one. Um, and it was very popular. And so, yeah, so when I embarked on this project, I knew I was going to um, definitely have him and, you know, that be part of the story. But it really is sort of a bigger look at Chinatown, both today during the pandemic, and then also kind of juxtaposing that with what happened 120 years ago during um, another pandemic that hit Hawaii that a lot of people don't know about is that in 1899, the bubonic plague arrived on our shores and immediately um, the first victim was Chinese, a Chinese immigrant living in Chinatown. And what happened was immediately the authorities put a quarantine on the entire Chinatown area. Um, so it was really interesting kind of to, to do a film and kind of look both at the past and the present and, and see, you know, what similarities there were and what, we can, what can we learn from what happened um, over a century ago. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people knew that there was a massive fire that nearly destroyed a lot of Chinatown too as a result of that plague, right? 
Yes, yeah. So what happened was there was the plague and then the quarantine and um, the medical, you know, back then they didn't really understand how the plague was spread. And so the, um, the authorities at that point decided anytime there was a victim who died that they would burn the building that the victim lived in. And so that meant that all the other people in the building had to go live in detention camps. And um, I was on and one of those controlled burns that, you know, the winds changed and the fire uh, grew out of control and, and basically raised 38 acres or 16 city blocks. So if you walk around Chinatown today, you might notice if you look at the buildings, like none of them go back before 1900, like the earliest one I think I've seen is 1901, maybe 1902. So, you know, our Chinatown was really rebuilt after that fire. Was your grandfather's shop one of those that that? Yes, there? yes. So oh. the, I think the first time I ever heard about the plague and fire was when I was reading my great grandfather's autobiography, and it was just he had just kind of you know it wasn't like he is like just kind of a bound autobiography he wrote, um, and he mentions that that he um, had his market in the quarantine area. He was outside the quarantine area, um, you know he he lived outside of it, and he remembers when the fire happened that he rushed to the scene, but he wasn't allowed in and he just had to sort of watch his entire market burn to the ground. And um, I think his story, you know, his is not the only story. There are a lot of people from that time who basically lost everything and had to rebuild. But the CQ Yeehop building is still in Chinatown today. Yes, there is still one. It's not the same building as before. And um, he, he basically, um, after the fire, he ended up partnering with a couple other um, businessmen and they started the, the market. And then he had many other businesses, but there is still a building in, in the heart of Chinatown today. And my family still manages it. So um, yeah, I'm very much connected to Chinatown. Mm, right. So the project that you're working on with the Chinatown documentary, is a, it's a shorter film, right? And you just finished a rough edit of it? Yes, I'm in the middle of the rough edit. So it's a film that was commissioned by the Asian American Documentary Network, which is a national organization that supports Asian American filmmakers who work in documentary. Um, they're partnering with the World Channel, which is part of um, public television, um, to do a series on resilience during the pandemic and just looking at Asian American stories all around the country that have that theme. So they put out a call for story ideas and I basically pitched it to them um, and they chose it. So that's sort of where that project began. And um, yeah, we're kind of working on a pretty tight timeline. I, I started filming in November and I'm hoping to deliver the final film in February. You see kind of the similarities in terms of um, merchants struggling today because of the restrictions placed on them with COVID-19 and the restrictions placed on the merchants back during the bubonic plague? Yes, yes. Um, so, you know, in the film that I'm doing, I um, have had a chance to, you know, go in and meet several folks who live and work in Chinatown. And one of the um, business owners that is going to be in the film, they're um, Cindy's Lay. I don't know if you they're the lace yeah. shop there. And so they talk about how, you know, when the lockdown happened, you know, they had to shut down and how tough that was because, you know, they, they work with live, you know, flowers, which don't keep. And so like all of their flowers, when they had that first lockdown, um, 
I think they just had to toss them. So, so definitely they talk about the challenges and I think a lot of business owners had those challenges and still have them. You know, I don't know that the same amount of foot traffic is happening in Chinatown than it was, that it, you know, the pre-pandemic times. Um, so that that definitely is, you know, a lot of similarities to what happened 120 years ago, except 120 years ago was a strict quarantine where they didn't let anyone in and let anyone out. So I think it was even more um, severe. Yeah. The date today, well, the day we're filming this podcast is January 20th. And the, the day the fire was, right, according to your, your, your yes. uh, documentary, is to, today. Yeah, I, ago, you right? know. I don't Crazy. think I even realized that. that <laughs> yeah, is I looked at that as like 2020. <laughs> it is January 20, 1900, yes. right? Yeah. And now wow. it's 2022. So uh, 122 years ago today. And it's so ironic too, because right before this podcast of this recording, I was looking through the archival photos at the Hawaii State Archives. They have a lot of them online, um, which is, it's a really great resource, but there's all these photos of the fire um, so I was just looking at that today wow. as well. So, yeah. Wow. wow. Okay. So when can we be on the lookout for that film to be mm-hmm. done? And, and um, okay. So I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think ADOC and World want to release it in May um, because that's, you know, Asian Pacific Heritage Month. Um, I'm not sure when it will be in Hawaii. Hopefully, you know, that same time or thereafter. So um, we'll see what happens. I'm I'm so excited because I mean I see a rundown of all your projects and isn't Eye of the Water one of them too? Yes, Eye of the Water. So that's another film I'm working on. That's about the Samoan writer Sia Figel and her journey of healing. Um, so that's an, another observational film that's been about five years in the making now. Actually, I think I'm going on six years with that one. So yeah. that has been my longest uh, film so far. So is it just you that goes on location to film all of this? Um, no. So I direct and produce and write. And then um, usually, you know, part of part of the reason these films take so long, honestly, is fundraising. So, um, so when I can fundraise and have a budget, I usually bring on a cinematographer and an editor and, you know, a sound recordist. So it's not just me, but I have done projects on much very lean budgets where I do go out and film it. So it really depends. But the ideal situation is that, you know, I'm directing and I have, you know, other crew and, and support. It's not yeah, just For me. those who, who don't know what we're talking about, I mean, you can look it up online. There's a trailer out and I've watched it. It's so breathtaking, just the imagery and like the video and wow. And I had no idea that all of this existed. Uh, I'm just so like intrigued. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which, which project are you talking about? The, the Eye of the Water. Oh, Eye of the Water. Great. Yeah, Eye of yeah. the Water. Yeah, yeah. No, that one, that one is is really, I'm really proud of it. And well, I mean, still in the making, but um, we incorporate animation in it too. So trying to bring Sia's writing to life, because it's really looking at both her writing and her life and how they kind of um, impact one another. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's going to be, I mean, I don't think a lot of people know about her story. Those who know of her as a writer probably don't know a lot about her personal journey. So it really is more of kind of a human interest film um, than anything else. Yeah, that's um, so great that you're bringing these these voices forward and these stories forward. And I, I, I know you mentioned fundraising. Is there a way the public or, or listeners out there can, can help you? And, and if they can, where do they go? What do they do? 
Oh, wow. Thank you, Nolan. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, of course. You got to yeah. do this. this is I know, great work. I'm constantly fundraising. Um, yes, for sure. I'm always fundraising for my projects. Um, probably the best way is to just go to my website, makingwavesfilms.com. And then there's like a page for each project. Because um, each project has, you know, has a different budget. And I'm working with a different fiscal sponsor, um, which is so if people give to the projects, it is a as a tax deductible donation because I work through nonprofits. So um, I sort of work with different nonprofits for each project. But that's probably the best way. But I am having a fundraiser next month uh, for Eye of the Water, and that's going to be co-hosted with Mental Health America of Hawaii. So um, all that information will be on my web website soon. Mm. And the website once again is makingwavesfilms.com. Awesome. Mm. I love that name too. Thank you. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I know people so, often are like, is it, are you doing surfing films? I'm like, oh no, I wish. <laughs> no, it's, it's more like metaphorical, like making waves. Which but, you um, are. Ah, yes, I love it. Yes. I, I really like that. Yes, I do. You know, and a quick question, this is, I don't know if it's kind of off topic, but is the industry as a whole, is it kind of competitive? You know, or is it not really because you say that it is hard because fundraising is, you know, really challenging. Um, so are, is it a rare, like kind of a rare craft and or, or, or is it really competitive where you're it, fighting it, for? It, it is competitive, unfortunately, because there's only um, so many, especially like for kind of traditional film funds. Um, there's only so many out there. And I think there's probably more filmmakers today than there were, you know, like 10 years ago, which is great on one, on one side, but on the other hand, it's, you know, tough. So that's hard. So I've tried to be more creative with my fundraising too. So instead of just relying on grants, like I'm trying to do these sort of um, partnering with community organizations and doing, you know, more kind of grassroots fundraising. Um, so yeah, there's different ways. I mean, the whole documentary industry has changed so much in the last five years too, just with streaming, you know, um, with like Netflix and, and Amazon. And so there's just this hunger for content, um, which is great, but um, that also means it's it's still real, it's really competitive, even probably more so now than it used to I be. Think you're, I think your work could definitely be showcased on Netflix. Have you ever thought about that? Oh, for sure. Netflix is, it's a tough, it's a tough nut to crack. <laughs> um, yeah, you, you really need to kind of work with a distributor and sales agent to sort of get to them. They used to be easier, whereas a filmmaker, you could approach them directly, but they don't work, they don't talk directly to filmmakers for the most part. Yeah. Oh, Unless okay. you're like an already really big yeah. game. You know, because um, we have a friend at Amazon, right, who's in charge of video. And we asked him, too, about, you know, what, what, what does it take to get, you know, more local content in there? And he was explaining it's a really long process, you know, it has to go through a lot of different chain of commands and things like that. Mm -hmm. But, tape, but yeah. that is that is um, what they are striving for. You know, I mean. As you can see, Squid Game changed the whole, like, you know, dynamic of what, uh, you know, viewers want to see. And it opened up a whole different, you know, market out there. So I'm sure there's a definitely a, a, an interest in, you know, what happens here in Hawaii, if we could mm -hmm. put that more in the forefront. I think so. And, you know, there's a lot more attention. A lot of media outlets are saying they want BIPOC stories or, you know, stories of, of underrepresented communities from filmmakers from underrepresented communities. Um, so they say that and, and we'll see what's happening. But I think there are a lot, a lot of opportunities. And um, yeah, hopefully it's, it's hard, you know, it's a business too. So they're also trying to find uh, things that people 
they, they really like series nowadays more than um, like one-off films because then people are hooked and then they're on the platform longer than just like a, a single film. So the, the, the industry is just changing so rapidly. It's sort of hard to keep, keep up. You know what, with so much uh, changing in the world and, and you see opportunities and, and I guess as a journalist, it, we study journalism, uh, do you see opportunities and you, you, but you have to kind of filter like what projects you want to, you know, you know, spend time on, for example, I mean, what's happening in Tonga right now, you know, I mean, I, I, I can see that being a very long documentary in and of itself and mm -hmm. Do you, how do you prioritize and not get, you know? Yeah, that is a really great question. Um, I'm always like, I always see things in the news and, and, and think, oh, that could be a great film project. But I, I definitely, one of my New Year's resolutions is to not take too many more things on. Um, and it is, it does take some discipline. Um, I never, I never lack ideas. And, and then it's sort of a matter of you know, you can have an idea for a film project, but what can you actually get funding for? So a little bit that kind of is, you know, how my projects, they go from an idea. It's like, which ones can I actually get some funding for? But um, yeah, there's, there's lots of great stories out there. And um, we need more storytellers for sure. And we need to support them, you know, um, with funding and, and just, you know, supporting by watching their films and whatnot. And well, where you can do we watch your, yeah, where, Kimberly, I, I may have missed it, but where can we watch your films that are out there currently? Um, they are, so Winning Girl and Patsy Mink, you can watch them on Vimeo On Demand. So you can get to those links through my website. Um, and yeah, and I think uh, Patsy Mink, if you, if you subscribe to Canopy, which is like an educational streaming service, so a lot of universities and schools do, you can get it through that too. Um, I think, you know, like the Hawaii Public Library System carries the DVDs and whatnot, if you still have a DVD player. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, so, so, but uh, in terms of streaming, they're on Vimeo on demand. It's probably Got the it. easiest way to get to them. Yeah. Okay, okay. And we always love to end with an inspirational or quote that's meaningful to you. Do you have one that you'd like to share with our listeners? I do, actually. Um, I pulled... <laughs> I pulled yeah. one from Patsy Mink because I was thinking of the 50th anniversary of Title IX. So, um, and actually the title of my Patsy Mink film um, comes from this quote. So the quote is, it is easy enough to vote right and be consistently with the majority, but it is, it is more often more important to be ahead of the majority. And this means being willing to cut the first furrow in the ground and stand alone for a while if necessary. So my Patsy Mink documentary is actually called Patsy Mink Ahead of the Majority. And on many issues, Patsy Mink was ahead of her colleagues. Um, and eventually, you know, people caught up to her and the way she was, you know, seeing the world and what she was fighting for. But I just really like this quote because, you know, it just inspires me to, you know, kind of think about, yeah, you do have to put yourself out there. And sometimes it can be lonely. And, and I think that's something that was sort of something I found in you know, researching Patsy's story was it wasn't always easy for sure. And she was often alone. Um, but of course, like the world is so much better off that she was ahead of the majority and that she pushed for women's rights um, and pushed our society forward. So that's my quote for today. Very powerful one. Yes, and definitely respect 
reflects who she is and was as a woman too. She remained steadfast in her beliefs as well. Mm-hmm. I, I can hear a little rustling in the background. So that means it's time for Kim to be back to her back mom to mommy duty. duty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's a whole other part of career and filmmaking and being a mom yeah but you managed to do it all so thank you so much for spending some time with us and we learned a great deal about your projects and we can't wait to see the finished product of course so we'll try to keep up to date with you on your website that's again making waves film (laughs) (laughs) want to do this stuff okay makingwavesfilms.com Yay. Yay. I'm going to go on Vimeo tonight and watch winning because I, I okay I yeah follow. please do please I will do. Oh, yes. thank, thank you, you so, much. so much Kimberly so are we are we oh, sorry, we'll cut it oh. there um or we're not still well you know we are so proud of you Kim for all that you've achieved and uh you know I, uh, you're not the only one because there's that Maui director right Daniel Destin or Destin Daniel Cretton behind mm-hmm. Marvel and you're just mm-hmm. just making Hawaii so proud with all that you've accomplished so keep it up yay well thank yes. you yeah thanks for <laughs> having me it's been fun it's been fun Kim's also a proud graduate of Punahou as well wow. so just putting that out there as well buff and blue representing in the house and as the Chinese always say kong ki fa choy happy yes. new, year new year to everybody let's make this a lucky year and a good one indeed. Best wishes to you all. Thanks so much for joining us on Mothership. Thank you once again, Kim. Thank, Thank you, Kim. you. You're awesome. Stay awesome. Thank yeah. you. Have a great year of the tiger, everyone. Yeah, you too. <laughs> Aloha. Yes, we gonna